0: Hi, this is Zach Semke with Passive House Accelerator, and thanks for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the Passive House podcast, recorded at Passive House Network's 2023 conference in Denver, Colorado. And a big thank you to Enersign for the support of the series. The interview you're about to hear was hosted by Carmel Pratt, co-host of the Next Gen edition of Passive House Accelerator Live.
1: I'm, I'm here with um, a few colleagues from New York Passive House, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves.
0: I'm Lewis Kale, I'm uh, Director of Sustainable Design at Handel Architects. Yeah.
2: I'm George Contarudis. I'm principal architect of uh, KWH Architecture.
3: Sarah Bayer, director of sustainability at Magnuson Architecture and Planning.
1: So I should have started with I'm standing here with three architects <laughs> who do a lot of great policy work in um, the New York Passive House space and also sit on the board of the New York Passive House organization. Um, so I'm going to start out these questions with a very broad and very, hopefully, idealistic question of what you think the future of Passive House
0: building is. Um, I, I think we're seeing kind of the future of uh, Passive House building in action now. Um, you know, in, in Massachusetts, we're seeing how it's being integrated into, into codes. Uh, we're also seeing how it is expanding beyond the kind of tool of multifamily uh, into commercial uh, schools, and institutions, um, and I think that you know what I—I I guess in my aspirational vision for the future of Bass House is that it, it has has is something that. Breaks outside the boundaries of conversations like this that we're having at a conference amongst industry professionals is something that is more um, common knowledge. And you know, my my parents are bringing me up at, at dinner uh, wishing that they, they had a passive house of their own um, because I think a really important constituency for this movement is the people that are going to be living in these spaces, occupying these spaces, having children grow up in these spaces. And I think that's where we can really um, push policy forward.
2: Uh, here, here. I, mean, I, I fully agree with what, what Lewis has been saying, and I think the future of passive house, and what I'm, what I'm hoping to see that at some point it becomes more widespread, not wide, just widespread, but just being the norm. Where we all just, we, if, when we're saying we're doing a building, we're doing a passive house building.
3: Yeah, I, I think it solves so many of the, of the issues that we have right now in our in our infrastructure, um, in our way of living. You know, our electrification uh, goals are met with are easily um, assisted by passive House, by lowering the peak. Um, we're protected from resiliency issues, um, you know, smoke events and uh, wildfires, and and uh, also it lifts us all up into a healthier building environment, which. Frankly, code minimum right now is a serious problem to our health. Um, so I think we're recognizing that uh, and uh, moving in the right direction.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. So passive house not just as an operational energy certification, but as a how, how does it co benefit um, the occupants and go beyond energy? Awesome. Um, what do you perceive or have heard to be perceived as the biggest in achieving passive house certification, whether on the new construction or existing building retrofit
0: side? I think, you know, at least at at scale, one of the big hurdles um, is the schedule and timeline of where uh, certification happens, how certification happens. I think, you know, there was some discussions in our great policy session this morning about, you know, certification not aligning with um, uh, certificates of occupancy, and you know, having having that process be more integrated into our typical uh, flow of, of uh, design and construction work, I think is a is a big hurdle. Um, and then I, I think just you know making sure that it's not necessarily a hurdle, more of an opportunity, but just making sure everyone is on the same page with the goals, um, and and kind of really focusing early on getting everyone involved getting everyone engaged uh, and, and kind of on the same team um, so that, you know, we all understand what we're looking for as we work towards a certification. One of the
3: biggest hurdles, yeah, is it's not um, understood by everyone, um, especially those who are marketing our buildings, who are selling them. Um, practitioners are really starting to get it, and builders, I think, are really getting it. Um, but just all the benefits are... And how much we need this solution is, is um, yeah, not in the common lexicon. Yeah. it's, you know, not, we have tons of like, shows, popular culture ways that we we still haven't penetrated.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, f- I fully agree with with that. I think that the biggest hurdle that I've that I've encountered is from the marketing side, and especially brokers who, uh, who are in, mo- in most cases in in, in market buildings that I've done in New York City. They're the ones driving the design criteria and how we how we design a building and they're shying away from Passive House mostly because they don't know what it is and its benefits and they kind of make everybody be afraid of, of any uh, cost increase that it might have
1: yeah I think if I can add
2: one more thing to that I think the
0: this this marketing and understanding the process certification is I think a big part of that is also understanding the benefit of certification as it differs from other certifications you know the, uh, uh, you know the idea of using passive house but not certifying, you're missing one of the greatest benefits of passive house, which is uh, verification. So you know, lead certification, great. Uh, it's excellent to have, but the certification process is not necessarily. It's verifying your checklist. It's not verifying the actual performance that you've put into place in the building. Whereas passive house on the other, it is. You know, there is testing, there is inspections, and so certification is a critical part of actually getting what you're you know putting all this effort and in, investing into uh, create.
1: Did you know my next question? Is that why you segued so well? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is, this is um, a really important topic. And for practitioners who haven't yet certified, um, you know, why is certification important? So you hit on, on the really key aspects of the testing and verification side, right? Is what I designed being implemented correctly? Um, and how does it stand up against the targets of certification? Um, what are the other reasons um, that certification matters? And uh, what ultimately are the most important principles that are implemented from that certification?
2: I think it's quality assurance. That's, that's, the, that's the biggest one. And it's also saying that I'm telling to my client that, hey, I've designed it to be a passive house. But then some the certifying body is confirming that it's been designed and built to what we've promised it. It was going to be built, so it, it benefits the owner as well.
3: Yeah, I think when you're, when we're all learning, I mean, it, it just really uh, benefits us all to have that that check, that verification, that quality assurance. Um, and you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how we're all going to end up um, in a place where we're building all these principles, which is where we need to go and deserve to go. Um, but I think we'll figure it out.
1: Um, so I I'm actually gonna segue a little bit into a different area and that's um, on the actual performance side so we're talking about how certification is a good you know quality assurance to what you design Um, but you know there's there there are some things that can be lost in translation between design and construction and I think there are even more things that can be lost in translation between construction and operation right occupancy and how the building performs on an ongoing basis Um, so if you had to guess and maybe you have some data. Maybe you have some projects that you're following and benchmarking. How far do you think modeled performance um, to actual measured performance is?
0: Asking the tough ones. <laughs> uh, so it seems like with what limited data we've seen, it, you know, it, it's a pretty wide range. There's a lot of data that's been. Um, put out there by um, you know some great stuff that's been done by Stephen Winter associates um, and I mean it seems like it ranges from 10 percent more to double um, and I think one thing that we've seen with with our projects um, with Pass well at Cornell Tech you know there's certainly an increase over what was modeled um, and that has fluctu. we've checked in with it a couple times and that has fluctuated over the years and that reinforces i think the um, fluctuate in the wrong direction uh, and that reinforces the fact that there needs to be uh, continued education continued check-in a huge you, you need know, to hit on your question a huge part of this is the staff that is operating the building and there's you know a lot of turnover in this space there's uh, kind of limited trainings that, out there for, for running high high performance buildings so I think you know a lot of effort needs to be put into making sure that, that buildings have a, a platform for um, uh, knowledge sharing and continuity of knowledge uh, about the building and its systems as you know through the life of the building and we should be checking in and recommissioning and thinking about things as we, as we move forward
3: yeah our commissioning laws in New York City are so important um owners sometimes question you know like oh I'm, they're, they're building the building as it was designed as it's on the drawings but it you know each each time you build these things it's, it's slightly different and it needs to be it needs to be double checked um, by someone who didn't build it <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> third party third party <laughs> yeah my last question is related to uh, to the passive house market and industry and how it's growing. Right, uh, you all made such great points about the future of passive house is that it's mainstream, everyone knows about it, and it's like the baseline. Like this is how we build to start with. Are you experiencing issues with workforce, supply chain, or other shortages impacting the ability to meet the current demand of passive house?
3: absolutely <laughs> yes. yeah um, you know we need we need more energy modelers uh, you know every time I get a chance to talk to a young person I emphasize how how much in demand their skills will be and, and there's various places in this industry with in, in regards to fast that they can get involved in um, I think I'm really happy to see some training of heat pumps installers happening in, in New York um, but definitely needs to be scaled up. So it cannot happen fast enough. Um, I honestly think, uh, yeah, we really need to focus on capacity building.
2: Yeah, I agree. We talk about the, the capacity of the of, of the grid, for example, when it comes to flow electrification, which we need to get up there. But I agree that it's also the capacity for both energy modelers and installers. I mean, most of the materials I think are out there and they're they're available. So I think it's mostly people that are, that we need to be keep training at a much faster pace.
0: Yeah, I think there's um, you know it, it touches so many aspects of the industry. Uh, you know, there's there's in, um, education of. of Contractors, contractors, subcontractors, getting involved in, in, you know, labor unions, even discussing kind of how uh, things are evolving over time, making sure that people are, you know, staying ahead of these changes. Uh, But it also touches. We've we've had a lot of conversations about, um, you know, as policies evolve and this gets worked into code, um, you know, having people in the. you know who are reviewing documents for building uh, building submissions uh, for permits. Um, you know doing inspections uh, in the field. You know that that workforce also needs to be kind of trained up and focused on. Um, and I think a, a, you know another hurdle is is just simply uh, clients. Like we you know we need our clients that have built these things uh, and are happy about them. And you know to be out there in you know. A, their uh, respective uh, real estate groups uh, <laughs> communicating these benefits because, you know, we, it, it's one thing for your architect to bring it up, it's another thing for someone that's saying, yeah, th- there's been an actual financial benefit to this uh, and, and you know, we think you should do it too. Um, so I think there's so the think training, training and kind of experience sharing all around that, that needs to be uh, developed.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. It happens in these settings, but we have to bring them outside of the conference space and and to to the mass media and plug for Passive House Accelerator because that's exactly what they're trying to do. Nice (laughs) nice transition. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for for being a part of the Passive House podcast and for sharing your insights. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for what you do.